Startup Stories podcast. I am your host, Tom Callahan. Today, I am joined by Neil Schuster, who is based in Brooklyn, New York. He is the co-founder of No Laying Up. He is also the merch czar, the head of business operations. Neil, what's going on today, man? How how are you? And what is No Laying Up? Uh Big Tom Callahan, a name I have not heard in a while since the uh, Columbia football days. People may not know that, but we played football together. So thrilled that you reached out, wanted to uh, catch up. Um, sorry, what was the what was the last question? Why don't you hit me with that again? What is No Laying Up? <laughs> uh, no Laying Up is a golf content company that uh, my older brother, uh, whose name is Todd, but goes by Tron Carter. And his two uh, good friends from college, they went to Miami of Ohio, uh, started as a text thread between the three of them. They turned it into a Twitter handle. This is in 2013, uh, just basically bullshitting about golf. Uh, I was out in San Francisco at the time working in technology. Uh, they thought that was very disruptive, even though I was slinging, slinging market research for a company named GigaOM. So I wasn't a coder, but they didn't know any better. Um, and they wanted to build a website. So we built the website or more, uh, accurately, my roommate at the time built me a website, uh, for us. And, uh, we kind of started the business, I guess you could say on January 1st, 2014, which means it'll be 10 years, uh, since we started it, which is kind of crazy. So I guess officially started probably a little longer than that. Um, for the first four, three, four years, it was just a hobby, just a fun outlet. Um, Twitter handle grew into a podcast. I think our timing was really good on that. Uh, one of the first golf podcasts. And uh, then that grew into a lot of video content. Um, my associate associate DJ Pihowski came on board. He was working at the PGA Tour. Uh, now he's kind of our executive producer and uh, runs all of our video content. So that kind of uh, was the next step in the evolution and then, yeah, I think slowly but surely we all transitioned from it being a hobby to it being a full-time business. I was the last one to go full-time of the uh, kind of five of us that are partners. And that was in, uh, it was February 1st of 2019. So it'll be five years in February, which nice. feels like it's flown by. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of, I, I, I tr you know, I, I try to think of it like, you know, uh snowball, like we you know, haven't raised any money or anything. So we're just trying to do things sustainably and um, make uh, I mean, on the business side, make more than you spend, which I think uh, up until this year was kind of uh, not cool <laughs> in business uh, yeah. and coming out of like venture back startup stuff in San Francisco. It's like the opposite of how it went out there. Um, but I think it's a lot more manageable and, feels sustainable and feels like something that we want to like continue to grow and operate on our own for as long as, as long as we can, as long as people want to listen and follow along. Yeah. I love that. Um, I remember seeing like the, the early days of no laying up, um, right. Yeah. I was, I was finishing college and just seeing like the progression of it, um, seeing you out in San Francisco doing, doing all that. And then, um, you know, and then you were working, you know, I guess we can kind of, we'll talk about a lot, but, uh, transitioning, I guess, like, you were in, you know, you were in tech sales essentially with GigaOM, and then you were at Google for a couple of years. Like, what was that experience like while running, you know, no laying up on the side? And then I guess what kind of clicked for you to be like, hey, but I, I should be doing this full time. Yeah, it was really good that it wasn't 
full-time from the start. I think um, I've said this before, but I feel like people can sense when someone is doing something to make money or they're doing it because they just want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like the no laying up stuff came around at perfect time towards the end of my gig ohm days when I was, you know, kind of, I don't want to say burned out sales guy, but like, it's really nice to have something on the side that you're passionate about. And it's always almost an experiment. So early on the main source of revenue was just, you know, merch sales, which was always just a fun experiment of like, I, I call it still to this day, like marketing that we make money on. Cause it's always fun. I was just in the airport. I was at LAX yesterday and I'm in the security line and a guy walks up like four people behind me. He's wearing a no laying up hat, the 2021 summer collection, you know, like a very yeah. specific, like my, uh, Miami dolphins colors. And I was like, Oh my God, what's up? You know, it's like, Hey, it's, what's your name? Will, you know, it just kind of start chatting. And, and I, to this day, get such a kick out of seeing our merch out in the wild, especially in places not related to golf. So like I made a point early on to make like athletic shirts. So you see it at the gym and, you know, or where, you know, so I saw some guy wearing it playing pickup hoops one day, this was years ago. And, you know, other people in the quarter, like, what is, what is that? What do you dunk? Like no layups. It's like, no, it's actually a golf thing. And then, you know, I think it helps with like the word of mouth stuff. So it always felt like a worthy side project just because it was like a cheap thrill mm-hmm. and then figuring out how things work. So like firing up a Shopify account and it kind of feels like you're building towards something. Um, and the fact that it was kind of on the side made it, I don't know, probably made a couple of jobs I had more palatable that I probably didn't love. And uh, I remember a company after Gigon that I worked at was a, a very, uh, not a great startup. Um, wasn't selling a lot at that job, but it was kind of a way to fill the day when I was pr- pretending to sell stuff. And it felt like I was doing something of value instead of just reading the internet. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, it was always like, it felt like a, a worthy use of my time. And it felt like I was gaining skills. So like I, you know, people will reach out to me and be like, oh man, I have this idea. And my first piece of advice is like, don't quit your job. Don't do that because you need to know that at least for a year, if if it's actually for real, you'll do it on the side. You'll find the time to do it mm-hmm. while you have this other job. And you don't think it's like, that's almost proof to yourself of like, this matters. This is something I really like. This This has sustainability just for my attention and my like, passion because i i uh i i feel like you see a lot of this online of people starting whatever kind of content operation whether you know it's very easy to fire up a podcast it's it's less easy but still relatively approachable to start a youtube channel mm-hmm. and but it just becomes it can become a, a grind especially in the first like year to 18 months when like even for for us specifically nobody's listening nobody's watching nobody's really following but then if you stick with it you know it it, you have to know that you want to do it when nobody cares that's like a a good sign of like all right you're in for the right reasons um and so for me uh that was the first four i guess it was four or five years i the first two years were like that for sure and then it started to pick up steam and then i i went and worked at google google was great because it was the other side of the spectrum where the startups were like this is how to some of it was like, this is how not to run a business. Right. And then you go work at Google and it's like a fine-tuned machine. At least it was when I was there. It's like, oh man, this is how like it's done. Almost like ruthlessly efficient and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, soulless maybe 
is a word automated is another word I would use. Um, but that was a good experience. And like, this is how a real business is run. This is how the internet works. Um, this is how big companies spend their marketing budget, you know? So at the end of the day, like, this is how companies like the, the role I was doing, I was building AdWords campaigns. Like this is how an insurance company grows their business. This is how, you know, a surfboard company grows their business. This is how a, you know, like in you know, merchant cash advance business does it like yeah. all different kinds of industries. And you, you start to figure out like none of them are exactly the same and all of them are guessing a little bit, but there's some like similarities to them that you can kind of pull from. And, and uh, that's really helped me with trying to grow this uh, golf business. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a great, like, just great insight. I think in general is like, especially I always say like having like a little bit of a startup startup experience, but then also having like, you know, big tech or like big corporation experience to really understand like, Oh, this is, this is how it, this is how it's done at its peak right now. Uh, it's just awesome to have. And then, and then, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, probably not what a lot of people like to hear. It's like, don't quit your day job necessarily until you realize like, Hey, is this a sustainable business? Like, can I, can I live the life I still want to live while making this, you know, by making this passion a part of it. Um, and I love the, the merch aspect. Like, you know, I see, I see, you know, NLU stuff all over. I'd see it at, I've seen it at airports. I see people with the hats on. Um, I get the same way where it's just like, it's fun. And, uh, you know, I started this, this company or not company, but Sunday porch club was, was, you know, something that started very similarly with my buddies after we graduated college, sitting on a, sitting on a porch, drinking beers and watching football. And we're, yeah. we started with like a little blog, like that's kind of like turned, it was just for shits and giggles and an Instagram account. And people were like, Whoa, what, this is kind of fun. And we threw like, a, we threw a party at my parents' house. It was like, here's Sunday porch club. Uh, and then started making shirts and people were like, Whoa, how do I get a shirt? Um, I'm like, well, you probably should have ordered it when I asked, you know, about all my Facebook friends and Instagram people if they wanted shirts and what sizes, because I'm not in the position to order a thousand shirts and then put up that money and sell it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that early stage of, you know, I think it's super valuable to hear like doing it when no one, when no one cares and no one even knows what it, what it is. And that's almost the stage I feel in this podcast right now. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not a huge podcast. It's not a huge listener base, but it's like the consistency and, you know, the just consistently doing it, having, having a track record of making it happen, then like, it can open up new opportunities. Um, you know, a year or two years from now, it's like, Hey, this guy didn't just do a podcast for, six weeks and call it quits because no one listened. It's like, this guy has put out a hundred podcasts over two years. And it's like, yeah, there's not a lot of listeners, but you can see it getting better every single time. And I think that is, that is huge there. Um, and then I guess, you know, going all the way back, like how did this become a passion for you? Like golf in general, like, is that, is golf something you grew up with? Is it something you picked up later in life? And then, um, I guess, you know, I know it kind of started just through like a little, a little text thread, but um, what got people, you know, the rest working with like co-founders, like how do people get serious about being like, Hey, let's, we can, let's have some fun with this, but we can actually make some money and get some notoriety in the industry. Yeah. The golf was, I did grow up playing, uh, I played junior golf, like fourth grade through ninth grade. My brother was always more of the golfer. He's three years older. So I kind of followed him. I was playing a lot of tennis and then obviously team sports and in high school, I quit playing golf after I got a varsity letter. Uh, I, I, I got a cheap letter my freshman year 
which was nice. And then I played, you know, football and, and basketball. But um, I think of golf like I'm really happy that I learned to play as a kid. It's almost like learning the piano uh, that you can then come back to later on. And I remember it was actually – I didn't play a ton – I played in the summer a little bit in high school. Didn't play hardly at all in college. And then I went to the Columbia football golf outing, which is every spring, the first Monday of every of May at Hackensack Golf Club. It's a shitty scramble. And uh, I I remember just being like, oh, man, I can hit the golf ball. And like most of our teammates, they can't hit the golf ball. You know, yeah. there's like a select few of us that that are are now and even now like good golfers, but like you can almost see everybody like, okay, football's over. None of us are going pro. Uh, where am I going to get a, the competitive outlet? And I was like, oh, great. I can, you know, pick up this golf thing. And then I moved to San Francisco. I feel like it's a phenomenal, one of the best public golf towns in the in the country. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was playing more and more out there. But at the end of the day, it was more of a, uh, a way to stay in touch with my brother. And it was something that was always, I, I think, early on, after college, like a, a way, a reason for us to catch up. And then, you know, he, I was kind of, when they had that text thread going, I was all, I knew those guys from visiting my brother in college. And so I was following along kind of from the side. And then when they were like, Oh, Hey, we want your help, you know, getting this thing, like making it more of a real thing. I was like, I was just jacked up. I, I couldn't wait. I remember the first phone call was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to get back to my office so I can look up how to, you know, buy a domain yeah. and, uh, you know, build a WordPress website, uh, which I quickly realized I was going to need help on, um, which so luckily my roommate was a, a developer and helped out. But um, the the reason that NLU, I think, worked was, one, it was the answer to our own problem, which we always thought that golf content at the time was very stodgy and self-serious. And it's like, man, I wish people talked about it more like we do in these text threads or um, amongst each other, um, you know, kind of making fun of players and just kind of more approachable, um, yeah. more fun. I don't know. You'd, you'd have to, but, but still from like an educated perspective, cause we all like really like watching golf. Like that's mm-hmm. something that we enjoy doing. So it's not like making fun of golf or calling it lame. It's just being like not taking it so seriously. And that seemed to resonate with people. Um, and so I think because, and then I think the other piece of it that really helped was in that first year to 18 months when, again, when nobody's reading or nobody's watching or listening, like we always had the four of us reading each other's stuff, laughing. And so you always had kind of, even if it, it felt like there was always a, at least an audience of three, yeah. um, which they say like, Hey, don't go into business with your friends or family. I've, I've uh, ignored that advice, which it's not always, it's not always easy. And as things get bigger, they're more complicated. You got to make sure you have like candid, direct conversations and clear the air on certain stuff. But, uh, overall, I think early on that really helps if you're trying to get something off the ground, it's like doing it with a group of people makes it, I think more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's my experience with it. Yeah. I love that. I think, you know, the first part on, yeah, kind of growing up with it and having a passion, I think, yeah, golf like piano is something like if you don't learn it, super young it's really hard to like get that passion later in life I know for myself like I grew up caddying I was a terrible golfer I was like I didn't even like the sport of golf because of like 
I'm out at the country club caddying for all these, you know, middle-aged men and none of them even want to be here. They're just here to get away from their families. I'm like, wow, this is kind of a sad life that I don't think I really want to be involved <laughs> in. Um, and, and like, I think the last time I even swung a golf club, I was 15 years old and I was, I was hitting a driver and it went like through my legs and backwards. I'm like, I, you know what? I'm good at, I'm fine with not being good at this. It's not something I'm, I'm passionate about, nor is it something I want to invest in and like understanding that. It's a, um, it's a funny activity because I, I, I truly believe there's like two types of people. There's people that like just enjoy the process of getting better at something. And there are yeah. people that, and I have so much respect for people that pick up golf late in life and they don't care. It's like, cool. I'm a 30 handicap. And like the, the joy of getting from a 30 to, to a 20 feels like very rewarding to them. And there's a lot of people like in our, you know, no laying up community that, that fit that bill. And I'm, I'm always like blown away away by that because i'm not wired that way i think right. the other half of people are like i suck at this life's too short i'm gonna spend my time now in my 30s working on something i'm good at and i think there's no right answer there um but golf is one of those things that uh kind of i think clearly delineates those two types of people because the the golf swing is like it's definitely a i consider it a sport but it's not a natural move like it's so much more natural to hit a baseball or something. And, and what's funny is like the, the golf ball stationary. It's you'd think it would be easy, but it's just like the the straight arm, the just the whole body movement of it. For some reason, if you don't pick, I, I think it's actually I said piano earlier, but somebody told me a couple of years ago it's a lot like surfing. Mm. And like I don't I've surfed, I've tried to surf like five times, not good at it. One yeah. of those things of like, eh, man, I I this this ship has sailed like i'm never going to be able to really do anything but a foam board on like a two-foot wave yeah uh because it's like i do that pop move off the board it's like it looks natural from the outside looking in but when you get on that surfboard it's just hard to do and i think the golf swing is very similar to that and people that picked up surfing as a kid it seems like this lifelong pursuit that people this niche activity that that almost rules some people's lives similar to golf but like it's so hard to get that almost addiction to it if you didn't pick it up as a kid. So totally. I think that's a, it's a pro and a con of golf, but you know, for, for our business, I think what's really unique about golf and interesting is it's one of the few sports that you can play till you're 80 years old. And so, you know, I look at like a sport like basketball, if you were to start a basketball content company, you're kind of going to age out a little bit. You know, where it's like, yeah, man, I'm like, I'm still playing rec league hoops, but I'm kind of like knocking on wood, like about this might be the last season, you know, you know, like I don't right. need to be blown out my Achilles or something. Whereas it feels like for us, we, we, and I don't know if this is the case, but I'm hope it is that we will be able to age with our audience in a way where it's like some other things. It's like, uh, like music, uh, you know, you got, you're the young, cool act and you're only going to be that way for this set what, two years, five years, whatever it is. And I feel like golf might be a, a unique sport and that you can kind of grow up with it uh, even in adulthood. So um, I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit, but it, golf's just very unique in, in that way that it, it, compared to other sports. Yeah, and I think, you know, it kind of leads to another question I was going to ask kind of like around the demographic that you kind of go after. And it's like, it's like, hey, like we don't, we don't need to have, you know, necessarily like we're going after 25 to 37 year olds. It's like, 
look like people got people start golfing at the age of six and they golf until the day they die and some people probably die on the golf course and it's like this is it's like it is open it's like as long as you create can create content that's relatable and digestible for all sorts of those people like where you're not just you know using a bunch of slang that's gonna you know impress gen z but then the the 60 year olds are like what the fuck are these guys talking about like this makes no sense or they're like these guys are a disgrace to golf it's like having some respect for the game still while also making it fun and and making it enjoyable for people because i think uh when people think of golf they're like oh just a bunch of old white dudes hitting the stick around and like which listen that's true i mean (laughs) it's it's, i'm not gonna apologize for the game it is still pretty stuck in its ways but like anything else, the tradition of it is it, it, the history of it gives us a lot to talk about mm-hmm. and makes it fun to cover the PGA Tour or the LPGA like year to year because there's so much historical context to it. Um, I think we demographically are probably tw- age 25 to 40 is like our, you know, which is yeah. no surprise to anybody male, you know, that's listen, that's just the game of golf. But I think it. we don't really think about it as a demographic thing. We think about it more as like what type of golfer. So mm-hmm. our mission statement is to entertain and inform a community of avid golfers around the world. And the key word in that mission is avid because there's different types of golfers. I think a beginner golfer probably isn't going to love our stuff, but at, we hopefully if they if they get into the game, then they'll find us. And so, and I think that's a very conscious decision by us because you can't be all things to all people like some sometimes we get feedback like i just put out every year we do this thing called the no laying up census where we just it's basically a feedback survey of our audience but we get this year we got about five thousand responses last year i think we got a few more but it's kind of like hey how are we doing like a little bit about like who are you you know all, all that all that good stuff and um it's just like the stickiness of of making it it's a hopefully it's approachable enough where we can you know get enough people into the funnel yeah. but there some sometimes a, what i was getting at is sometimes the negative feedback is oh man i don't know any of your inside jokes i don't know any of your and it's like well listen i'm not going to dumb it down for you like you you kind of have to invest in it like right. and if you do it seems like all these other people have gotten a lot of value out of that of like oh my god now i'm like now i'm in mm-hmm. but sometimes people just want you to like give them the answers to the test. And it's like, well, no, you got to like, you got to do a little work on your end to kind of understand the game and maybe try to pick up on why we keep saying like these nicknames or whatever it is. Um, I think that that makes it more um, stickier for people to stick around instead of going and finding, there's like 50 million golf podcasts now. So it's kind of, you know, that, that to me adds to the, uh, to the staying power of it. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you're consuming any sort of content, it's like, yeah, this podcast has been going on for, you know, four or five years now. It's like, if you come in on season five for some show on Netflix and you're season five, episode three, it's like, yeah, you're not going to understand like how, how any of this even happened. And I think, yeah, the inside jokes, it's like, you're, you're invested in it. I think, like, you know, from a, you know, this sounds super white male is like the Barstool Sports, the part of my take podcast. It's like seeing those dudes like in 2016, starting this podcast from really nothing. And you get to see like their brains working. Like you can like hear it on the podcast of like these jokes that they're creating. And some of it is like, they're, they're still telling the same jokes they were telling, you know, eight years ago when they started. And some of them have evolved or phased out or, you know, were you know, gone and gone within the same episode. Um, 
but it's it's just kind of like again the yeah. consistency of it it's always funny too with like this feedback that that we solicit so you know you got to take it the good with the bad but like there's a lot of uh in, in like the short answer section of like what I, I always ask the question like what's one one pet peeve that you have you know and people list out like 50 things right yeah. <laughs> but like the somebody will just list off like oh god i'm so tired of the the you know you, you the bits are like I, one, one one person was like um i wish you guys would like do you know branch out on different video series and then someone's like I, the net literally the next feedback is like why won't you go and do stra more strapped and more tor like this some people are like play the hits and some people are like no i don't want the hits i want you to do new stuff right so it's like you, you know hopefully like there's a balance on both sides of like what people are asking for um, yeah it's like you can't please everybody and at the end of the day it's like man. it's like you know you got to do what you what you and your team it's like this is what we feel is best and this is where we're having you know we're enjoying it the most and as long as like we can still keep you know, our audience or our, you know, the people that buy our stuff or, you know, consume our content in, you know, keep the majority of that. It's like, yeah, this is, this is where we still are going to be passionate about it. But then it comes back to that point where you're like, Hey, if we just listen to all this stuff about, you know, this person's feedback and this person's feedback, now we're just kind of doing it just for the paycheck again. Uh, and yeah. we're not, we don't have that passion and that's going to come out in your content where you, you know, people can tell when you're passionate about something and, and when you're not, and when you're just kind of going through the motions. Um, I think that's a uh, core to our business is another like kind of key core value for us is like passion and curiosity have to lead the way. So we try, you know, we have to say no to a lot from a business standpoint of just like, you know, sponsor, a says, Hey, come to our event, make it look cool. It's like, well, I don't really want to go to your event, you know? Right. And, and so it, it's tough to balance that stuff. It's, it, you gotta, you gotta be it, the, the lesson I've learned over the last five years is just patience. Mm -hmm. You know, you just got to kind of stay at it. it. It was true in the beginning and it's true now. Like don't rush it and don't like, I don't know. Don't treat, I said this all the time. Don't treat the audience like they're stupid because they're not, and they can sense stuff. And they're like, ah, you know, like, so you got to, you just got to be very careful about the, uh, the trust of the audience, which I think we've done a good job of, but it's, yeah. you know, I'm not going to pretend that it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's like, it's constant. It's almost like you just, and I think there's some parallels with golf of like, you know, golf's always uh, used as a, a model for like, Oh, people call fouls on themselves. Right. And it's like, you, 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 you don't compromise on that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, yeah, you don't, you know, don't improve your lie. It's like little stuff. It's like, once you start to cut corners on you in the small stuff, it, it can cause problems. Totally. Yeah. I, I can't add anything more to that. Not going to, not going to repeat it. So um, I guess, you know, going back to something you mentioned earlier with getting into business with friends and family, like how many, how many people were on that initial like founding team at NLU and, you know, from that, like, how did you guys decipher like, Hey, you know, person A is doing this person B is doing this person C is doing this. And like, and understanding each person's role and kind of like, you know, scoping that out from the beginning and how those evolved over the past, you know, almost 10 years now. Um, like, you know, what had to change or what was the mindset that people had to take? Uh, so there was four of us that would kind of co-founded things, me being probably the fourth and the youngest. And then uh, DJ is kind of the fifth member of the of the the band, 
-hmm. And then we have a team of, of uh, nine now. So we have four additional team members um, that, that work on, you know, various things like video production or like our, we do live podcasts. So live show stuff, but everybody's, you know, everybody's kind of doing things across the business, but early on, I think because it wasn't supposed to be a business, people gravitated towards what they enjoyed. Like I actually enjoyed the back end stuff of like the, like I was saying earlier, early on the merch stuff. And then some of it is like, where's your strengths? Like, okay, I came out of software sales. So doing a lot of the business stuff makes sense. Like probably, you know, makes sense for me to do that. I don't do all of them and we have help with that stuff now, but like it's, um, I don't know. It's still stuff I get. I, I, I almost look at like Solly's the host of the podcast and he's very good at it. And as we've gotten more organized, it's like, I don't, I would rather free him up to, to focus on landing guests and getting the Sunday, you know, agenda ready for our team, like our group, you know, recap podcast, then worry about like, you know, renewing deals for 2024. Right. It's like, you, you have to specialize at some point, you know, Randy was a, you know, a CFA or, or sorry, a CPA. So he does a lot of the financial stuff. So he and I handle a lot of the back office stuff. And then DJ and my brother are very creative. They're very like, they're good at identifying stories that interest them. And as a result, probably interest like a wide swath of our, you know, audience. This is a worthy story to tell. So like we do a travel video series called Taurus Sauce. And my brother handles like all of the logistics and planning and talks to the people. We went to Scandinavia last summer and it was like, you know, he set up this whole itinerary and with like Sherpas along the way and people to show us their home courses. And like a lot of work goes into that. I don't have the patience or, you know, I'm not a planner like that, but I, if you need me to like land a sponsor for that, that's where I come in. Okay, cool. We're going to work precision pro in as the title sponsor. And here's how we're going to integrate them. And it's going to be additive to our content and it makes sense for them. And, you know, so it's a little bit of like everybody, I think naturally gravitated towards certain things. Now within that, and this is kind of the this the secret of like what the reason I said earlier, like don't quit your job. Like it's the secret, like I'm not doing anything that different from what I was doing at Google or mm-hmm. at you know Gigome. It's like we're still, you know, we're selling advertising in a way, but it's it means a lot more when you're selling something you believe in. You get to create the outline, you get to approve it, and then you have to be the one to set up the process to make it efficient. Like there's still dirty work and there's still stuff I don't like to do, but I try and I, you know, it's not always the case, but hopefully I say that, you know, our squad, it's like, listen, I hope that 60 to 80% of the stuff you're doing, you, you love, but you're going to have to do 20 to 40% of, you know, shitty work that just every business has to do. Right. So like, it's not, not everybody can just do what they want to do all the time, but hopefully the majority of what you're working on week to week is like stuff you enjoy doing. Um, and I think that still holds true. It, it kind of ebbs and flows, but every year we meet and well throughout the year, but we always have like a big offsite coming up and it'll be in December this year where like one of the kind of key like kickoff questions is like, what, what do you love working on and what do you want to stop? What do you hate? Like, what's your least favorite thing that you've been working on this year? And like mm-hmm. the beauty of it is we, we can't, we might not be able to change it. Like, you know, in the middle of the year, but heading into next year, like, okay, well, let's just not do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Let's just, let's just like phase that out and we'll, 
you know, but I, you know, it might not happen overnight, but I get why, or it's like, listen, we have to do that. And you can, you know, let's try to make it a more efficient process or let's get some help for that or whatever it is. So, um, like I remember a good example is like Sally used to not only host the podcast, but he used to edit it. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was four years ago. And it was like, he didn't really say anything about it until sometimes you have to like present the uh, meeting or the environment where somebody can actually like speak. I was like, man, I just, I don't really want to edit the podcast anymore. <laughs> and I remember he'd be like, anytime we were going over like an hour, he'd be trying to wrap it up. And I never really understood why. And then I was like, Oh, well he, he knows that like, that just means he has to sit around after and edit a two hour podcast. Yeah. And so it's like, yo man, let's, let's get some help for that. Let's find a, a podcast editor. And we did. And it, it totally freed. It just like freed everything up, which is, you know, I, I try to identify that stuff around the business as often as possible and then figure out ways to like, you know, make it more efficient. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, not even just for, for no laying up and like what you guys are doing, like that's great great techniques to take into any business. It's like getting your, getting your employee feedback, understanding what people's strengths are, where, where their time is best spent. And yeah, podcast editing is, is no joke. It's like, it takes hosting's the fun part. This is the easy part of, of running a podcast is like getting to sit down and talk with people. And then, but then, yeah, like it takes, it takes two hours to edit any episode and just, just for like minimal stuff too, and to listen back and see where there's mess ups. Um, but even yeah. for me, like a big piece of that, like for the first six years, I handled all customer support. Yeah. Anything that came into the, you know, general email inboxes was like, I'm, I'm going to handle that personally. And it just snowballs out of control and you don't even realize it. It's like the frog in the boiling water situation. You don't even, you're like, and then I got some help with it and it was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I have so much time. Yeah. And, and to this day, anything that comes through those inboxes, I still have them. They, you know, they still pop into mine because I, I think it's a really good way to keep a daily tab on, you know, do we have a, like a uh, consistent problem with certain products or, you know, is there certain yeah. feedback that keeps popping up, but you know, you, you kind of, but you can't, but the, I, I guess the, the other reason I brought that up is with podcast setting is a good example. I think it's really valuable. If somebody's starting something, you shouldn't get your hands dirty with it to start mm-hmm. because then it was like, I knew I had the customer service support playbook that I was then able to put on paper and transition to somebody else. This is how we handle all of this stuff. And if you get new problems or if you have ideas on how to improve it, let's discuss it. But I think there's a, uh, a great deal of value when like people that own and operate a business know how like the nitty gritty stuff works. Um, so doing it yourself at first, I think is really valuable and, and important. Yeah. I think, yeah, you got to understand how the business works and what your actual users or your customers are saying and what their feedback is. And and that helps you, you know, improve the product. And like you just said, it's like that allows you to now train someone properly on how to utilize those, you know, Hey, when this comes in, this is how, this is how you can respond or here's some, you know, templates or things like that. Um, And then when new shit comes up, it's like, cool. Now let's get on a, a call, like a call and we can have a 30 minute meeting to discuss how to approach this versus, you know, Neil spending, you know, 25 hours a week replying to customer, you know, customer issues. Um, yes. you, can, you can pay someone to do that, but you know, if you didn't understand how to do that yourself, like 
it's very difficult to manage someone to to do that. And I think that's why I'm like for ma- management in general, it's like you got to know how to do you got to know how to do the job and how the nuts and bolts like work in order to train someone and coach someone and teach someone how to do something um, just in all aspects of life. Uh, I think it's, I'm a big fan of like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell someone how to do something until I've actually done it and like have gotten somewhat good at it. And if I'm bad at it, then I'm like, you know what? Hey, here's what I did. And I fucked up. Uh, for so sure. <laughs> this is maybe don't do it this way, or maybe this will work for you. I don't know, but you're going to have to make some of your own mistakes too. Um, and yeah. And not being, not being mad when someone does like, yeah, people are going to make mistakes. Shit's going to hit the fan, but not being like, all right, like let's not lose our heads over this. Let's, let's see what we can fix and make sure this doesn't happen again like that. And then I know kind of, you know, wrapping up like from like a monetary standpoint, like how have you seen like no laying up go from, you know, very grassroots, very like guerrilla marketing to, you know, make generating like revenue or profits like or are you guys you know it sounds like you've become a lot more sustainable over the years um but being able to you know obviously afford hiring employees or contractors uh throughout like must be you know i guess like the business model for generating income yeah i think we put a lot of emphasis on uh i've said the word sustainable sustainable income a lot i I think we've I'm really proud of the fact that we've, I think maybe one or two partners ever that have like not renewed with us mm-hmm. for like, Hey, this didn't work, you know, and none, none of like, we've, we've had partners for six years. Like most of the people we work with uh, we've been working with since day one. And I think it's because it's like, yeah, we're, we try to do good work and we try to incorporate people in an authentic way. And we try to work with companies we actually like. And, uh, so that creates like year over year sustainability on the partnership side. And then the other piece is just trying to remain like somewhat diverse. Well, so it's, there's merch revenue, there's, you know, partnership or sponsorship revenue. And then we have like, uh, you know, membership. So we have a, like a, we call it the nest, which is a, you know, a community of, of diehard golfers. And we try to set up events and, and, cool. you know, create a true community out of that. And all of that's been, um, I think good because we're not, you know, at, at points in our evolution, at first it was all merch, right. Which is a little bit like, um, I don't know. It's just like a, it's like a freight train. Sometimes the merch just orders. It's very, can be very tedious. Mm -hmm. Um, but then if you skew the other way where it's like all partnerships, like that can get very stressful with like, well, what if they don't renew or, you know, so there's not a ton of security there. So having a good balance of those two, and then layering in like the um, kind of subscription, if you want to call it that stuff is, or trying to create like added value for people that are, you know, really into, um, into golf, into our content has been a, I think a good formula. Um, and then a, another big piece of it is like, it, it can be tough because we, we have a lot of ideas in a lot of different directions we'd like to go. But sometimes people forget like, oh, we're going to ramp up this new video series. Well, that comes at the cost of like, don't take your eye off the ball on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And you think you can do both. But the only way you can do both is if you make one or both of them more efficient. And so I've spent a lot of time um, personally and with the team of just like how like video editing process, our, our schedule, 
how can we make sure we don't burn ourselves out? I think that's a, a you know, I think we've done a really good job of um, preventing that. And that's like, that's key because it's very easy to think like, oh yeah, we'll do that. We'll do this. And and then all of a sudden you look up and like the stuff that brought you success at first is starting to suffer. Right. Um, so making sure that you're constantly checking in on like, hey, is there a better way to do this? Is there a, a you know, um, can we make this easier on the team? Um, and I, I think that's really helped us expand in other areas or turn our attention elsewhere because we feel like not that we're ignoring something over here, but that like, hey, we know this is running really well and somebody's responsible for it, which frees up the other team members to go work on something over here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's a push and pull though, because like we could always use more help, but that brings its own complexity of like making sure the whole team is operating as a unit and, yeah. you know, making sure that um, we don't have too much going on and it, you can just spread yourself really thin. And so that's something that I'm always aware of. And I, I, I've, I've said this to like, especially some of our members of like, you, if you criticize us or me for moving too slow, I'm, I'm almost going to take that as a compliment because I, I, I think that a lot of problems we've had is when we try to do too much or do things too quickly mm -hmm. is like, it's, it's just not the way our business is structured. And it kind of goes against like everything in our culture these days of like, fucking move fast, break shit, uh, you know, like yeah. raise a bunch of money, uh, hire a bunch of people. And I just, I don't know. It's not really the kind of business that I want to run or grow. Yeah. It creates distractions when you're kind of like always chasing like the shiny new toy or, you know, or you're overstaffed. And now it's like, well, shit, now I need to, I used to just have to manage myself and one other person. Now I need to manage four other people. And I don't, I can't find the time to do all the stuff that I was doing before I hired these people. And it actually created a lot more work for myself and the work gets sloppy or the quality gets, gets lower. And just like, it's not what, it's not what people came to, you know, to you for or like what they, you know, what you give people in, in their lives uh, in terms of like content. Or well, work. and it goes back to like when I made NLU my full-time gig, I remember I came to a point at Google at the end of 2018 where I, I finally, and it can kind of been building for six months. I started to really feel like I was doing two jobs, but both of them kind of average, yeah. you know, you're just kind of like spread too thin. So you're going through the motions over here. And you're like, and you keep telling yourself like, oh no, just, uh, just let me catch up. And next month I'll be back to like, you know, I'll be good. And then it just, you, you don't catch up though. So it's like, all right, it's time, you know, wake up. You got to make a choice basically. Yeah. And I think the same is true now with NLU full time, you can spread yourself too thin and be like, all right, you gotta, it's, it's a lot of times it's not a question of what it's more of a question of timing of like when you should do it. It's like, no, I know we should do that, but I, I, I can't do it right now so let's i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off on that you know and yeah. then it's just a kind of a exercise in priorities of like what you know what comes first is is a that's a big part of my week every week yeah like what <laughs> what fire am i gonna put out today versus right. tomorrow <laughs> and that's running a business and that's entrepreneurship and that's you know it's kind of but it's exciting because you have a passion for it and you truly love it. And this is like, you're dealing with that 20 to 40% of shit that sucks. But you know what, in order for me to do what I love, I need to do some stuff that I don't, I don't love. I still feel, and I hope I feel this way in five years and or 10 years, but I still feel like the, there's a lot of shit that I do on a weekly basis. That I don't want to do, 
but I still, I come back to like, you know what? I'd rather do that because it's mine than mm -hmm. have to deal with like half of that on somebody else's behalf is kind of where I've, I've still landed. And so, yeah. but that's a question you got to keep asking yourself. Cause there's no guarantee that like you don't burn out and you're not, and you're like, ah, but like, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't have any other like big ideas. You know, I'm not like yeah. the serial <laughs> startup guy. Like this is kind of it. So if this one doesn't work, I don't know what I would, would be doing with my time. That would, right. I, I, I uh, which is motivating. It's almost like a, a, a motivation of fear of like, all right, I can't let this fall apart because that would suck. Yeah. And then worst case scenario, you go back to, you know, slinging software sales and it's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, at least I tried and I did something that I loved and I got all this new experience that like companies eat up. Like when you're, when you're interviewing it, things like that. Which, yeah. And that, you know, yeah, if that's the worst case, so be it. But like, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to prevent that worst case. That's, yes. that's where I've landed. Exactly. So that's very motivating for me. Love it. Uh, Neil, I appreciate you jumping on and, and kind of going over no laying up and the start and, and how you got involved in changing something from, you know, part-time to full-time. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find no laying up plug away? Uh, no laying up.com revamped been revamping the website. So ramping up, our written content again. So almost nice. full circle from our early days of blogging, uh, no laying up on Twitter, Instagram. It's kind of the main accounts. I can be found at N G S C H U on uh, social channels. I think on Twitter, I'm N G S U N L U. Uh, and then yeah, YouTube channel. So we're kind of on all the, everywhere. Uh, we're all, you just, you know, no laying up. Hopefully it's somewhat memorable name. Yeah. And the SEO is good enough. If you throw it into Google, uh, you know, it might come up first search. It, it should, it better. <laughs> and and hopefully my, my, uh, no laying up pro shop Google ad comes up first. Yeah. We'll have to talk my, to Evan Miller and see if he can uh, make sure it's, you know, put some money under the table and get that on uh, number, number one. On well, uh, uncle Mills and I used to be a, a tag team over at Google. <laughs> yeah. I remember he was, that. he was on the sales side and I was on the account management side. Uh, so yeah, good stuff. Hey, sorry about your bears. And I'm really sorry about our Columbia Alliance. Just an anemic passing game this year. But it sounds like the defense is kind of frisky. But just a classic 20 to 17 loss to Penn on homecoming. Yeah. We 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 truly hate to see that, Tom. We do, especially on a nice rainy day, is uh very indicative of every Saturday in New York. It seems like it's pouring down rain. Yeah. Looks like you got some sun today. So uh, yeah, it actually is pretty nice. Nice yeah. fall day. I need to get outside. Love it. I'll give you, I'll, I'll put some time back in you and Neil, thank you for, uh, for jumping out. Yeah. Thanks Tom.